Hello everybody and welcome back to Gina Geeks Gems. With me today I have another return guest. It's David. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I hope you're feeling positive and peppy. Yeah, proper. All right, let's get straight into it. Trawling through old newspapers one night, I came across an article in the Walsall Advertiser that caught my attention. It was an event that happened on the 18th of February, 1895 at Newcastle under Lyme. Do you know where Newcastle under Lyme is? Uh, It's in Staffordshire, isn't it? It is, yes. So same county as Walsall. How far away would you say? I'd say it was about 22 and a half miles away from Well, that's Warsaw. a very exact guess. Well, is it right then? I have no idea. <laughs> I thought you might know being a Staffordshireian. Oh, well, no, no, I ain't got a clue then. Could be anywhere. Narnia, could be. Well, I don't think it's too far away. The headline of the article that appeared in the Warsaw Advertiser was... Alleged outrage by a Walsall man. Oh, that's an headline, eh? It happens <laughs> every 13 seconds. <laughs> Any guess what the outrage may be? Oh, it could be anything, really, couldn't it? I don't know. The, the pub was shut, dropped a pie <laughs> on the floor. Um, I don't know, lost a tenner. I actually like how they've softened the outrage with the word alleged. <laughs> it's like this horrible oh, yeah, like, outrage. Yeah, might, have, yeah, might have just been a bit miffed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> caused a mild disturbance. The alleged outrage by a Warsaw man. Let's find out about it. All On right, Monday then. night, a very serious assault was committed upon Police Sergeant Bentley, one of the oldest members of the Newcastle Underline Police Force. Information had been lodged at the police office against a woman known as Emma Pemberton, but whose real name is Harthorn. The charge against her being that she had stolen seven shillings from a man named Henry Morris. Sergeant Bentley went to the Antelope Inn in Penkhall Street to make inquiries, and shortly afterwards, in response to a call for assistance, Police Constable Bagnall was dispatched to the spot. So assistance, needed some assistance with his inquiries or maybe something had happened. How old was he then? At the time, he would have been about 53. Oh, so yeah, pretty pretty fucking knackered then, really, (laughs) on the knackers he. Well, maybe, but he's obviously well experienced. Mm. But yeah, it does make it sound like he's positively ancient, but he, he wasn't that old. Sergeant Bentley went to the Antelope Inn in Penkhall Street to make inquiries, and shortly afterwards, in response to a call for assistance, Police Constable Bagnall was dispatched to the spot. The woman was under the influence of drink and resisted violently upon her arrest. She had a case. (laughs) The officers at length succeeded in getting her out of the inn into the street and were taking her to the police station when her husband, who was a Walsall man, came up and struck the sergeant a violent blow in the face, presumably with some instrument. Chivalry, see? That's what you get in Walsall. (laughs) Yeah, protecting his woman. Bentley fell to the ground, bleeding from his wound, but rose again and helped to get the woman back to the inn, where he fell down in an unconscious state. A cab was sent for, 
and the wounded sergeant was taken to the surgery of Dr. Dixon, who found that he had been cut from the forehead to the cheekbone, one of his eyes being terribly smashed. That sounds a lot less funny. <laughs> no, but I mean, good punch, though. One punch is all that. <laughs> I wonder what he hit him with. Probably just had a big fist. Well, maybe. It says presumably mm. with some instrument. Maybe he was just rock hard, like the whole Yeah, thing. big warsaw fist around the face. <laughs> Nobody stands a chance. His assailant decamped and has not yet been arrested, so he's run off. Right. Police Constable Dale responded to the further call for help, and in getting the woman to the police station, he was severely kicked. So, so she obviously had at him. Bentley was in plain clothes at the time, but Hartshorn must have known that he was a police officer. Bentley passed a fair night, but is still seriously ill. Oh, why are they assuming that he would know that bloke, manhandling his missus in plain clothes, was a policeman? You wouldn't think that, would you? Oh, yeah, true. I've read Hartshorn as Emma, but maybe they did mean him. But I've got a feeling feeling that, that they were well known. Well, he probably would have said, oh, I'm a copper, don't smash me in the face with your big horrible fist, probably. Well, perhaps, or maybe he could have just been a gentleman looking after his wife. But the fact he ran off. Yeah, and left her there anyway when he realised he was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not so chivalrous after all. <laughs> <laughs> My plan uh, has not worked. <laughs> Bentley passed a fair night, but is still seriously ill. The woman was brought before the magistrates in the morning and charged with the theft. The prosecutor did not appear, and the clerk said it was most important under the circumstances that the prosecutor should appear. She was accordingly remanded till Thursday, when prosecutor again failed to appear. Uh, who's the prosecutor? What's, is it, yeah, what's is it going Morris? On the, I think well, it's the bloke know. she stole the money from in the first place, because she wasn't the one who hit Bentley in the face. That was her husband. She stole seven shillings from a bloke called Henry Morris. Sergeant Bentley went to check it all out to find out what's going on. Obviously found his way to Emma Hartshorn, who did not appreciate being arrested. Her husband didn't like her being arrested either and come and smashed him in the face. Um, Mm. But then for some reason, Henry Morris didn't bother showing to prosecute by the sound of it. Why not? not sure. Well, that's, I guess, what they were trying to find. Maybe he was just really ill. Or mm, probably lying <laughs> about the seven shillings, I reckon. I reckon he Perhaps. should get a big fist in the face. <laughs> so when he didn't show up again, a warrant was issued for his apprehension. Inquiries elicited the fact that Sergeant Bentley, who had been attacked by the husband of the woman, had passed a better night and was in a fair way to recovery. What do you make of this? Well, it is, uh, what the, the, the language they use is a bit... You have to think about it, don't you? Hmm. The prosecutor the fair way to recovery. Oh, right, well, I don't know. I mean, you're probably, uh, I, I don't know. Anything could have happened, couldn't it? I mean, he's, I don't know, I don't know do you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about the situation yet to make True. a decision on what's going on. Since anything could have happened, the seven shillings could have been payment for a nefarious act. Well, I am aware that they. he must have showed up at some point because she was charged with the theft. Did the police not charge people back then without the prosecutor right. being there? I have no idea, to be fair, but it says mm. she was remanded till Thursday 
and when he didn't appear again on the advice of the magistrate's clerk, who alluded to the serious outcome of the case, a warrant was issued for his apprehension. Yes, I'm, I don't know. What was so serious? Is it just maybe the fact that the policeman got smashed in the face makes it more serious than the Yeah, I suppose was... smashing a really old policeman in the face is quite serious, I suppose. <laughs> really old. We went off off that ourselves. He's <laughs> virtually a bloody vegetable. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll be glad to hear Bentley recovered and both he and PC Dale lived on to ripe old ages. Together. <laughs> Some <laughs> weird... <laughs> Possibly not together. But what of Emma Pemberton and her husband? Oh, what of her? And this is what I want to talk about today. <laughs> this is where I got super interested in these people. Emma Pemberton had married Samuel Hartshorn, the husband that they're referring to. She'd married him only three years before this event at Newcastle under Lyme. I'd like to go back further in time and give a bit more backstory to Emma. Yeah, how did she get here? What kind of life did she live? Well, I wanted to find out. Emma was born in late 1866. Her parents were unmarried and her mother already had about four or five other children. Bleeding hell. Not sure how many with this particular man. In January of 1879, Emma was caught begging and sent to the workhouse. She would have been about 12 years old at the time. I'm not sure how much the parents got involved or maybe because she was about 12. Probably I'm didn't know sure. who she was. The parents. They probably didn't know who she was, yeah. <laughs> Who's that in? Don't know. Well, actually, by this time, her parents had split up and her mother was living with a different man and she had another couple of children with him. So we can guess at the very least the house was crowded. If she was even still living there, who knows? She may have been on the streets at this point. I'm not sure. But if she was still living at home, it wouldn't have been the most comfortable circumstances. The next month, she was caught begging again, and it was recorded in the Staffordshire Sentinel. Begging. At a special court on Thursday, Emily Pemberton, about 10 years old, was charged on the information of PC Bentley. There's that name again. With oh, vagrancy. Yeah, so this is... Um, what happened? That was 1895 and this is 1879. So 16 years before they meet again. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so well, this is when yeah, she was younger. Him got it in for a minute, has he? That Bentley. Possibly. Yeah. Well, remember how they were saying that they knew he was a police officer, even though it was him in, in uh, plain clothes. Obviously, mm. he crossed paths before. So she was charged on the information of PC Bentley with vagrancy by begging in King Street. She had previously been up for a similar offence. It was represented that her home associations were very prejudicial to her welfare and the magistrates decided to send the girl to a reformatory until she attains the age of 15 years. A reformatory? Yes. Oh, well, yeah. Get down the reformatory then, please. <laughs> Before we talk about the reformatory... I wanted to mention something else that struck me. Did you notice how they said she was about 10 years old? 12, right? The article says 10, but she was about 12 years old at this time, which right, makes okay. me think she probably looked younger, probably was very undernourished, so probably not in the best of health. Hmm. Undersized for her age, perhaps. 
And they said that her home associations were very prejudicial to her welfare. So they hated her at home. But she might have done all right. She might have done all right begging, ate loads <laughs> of meat pies and gone home. She could have been about 16 stone at the age of 10 and all the family was jealous because she never bought any money back. She's just really good at begging and bought great piles of dinner and never took any of it home. Okay, except I think you've misunderstood <laughs> what they meant when they said her home associations were prejudicial. didn't necessarily mean that they hated her at home. It just meant that uh, her home life wasn't the best, that the people she lived with were a bit rubbish. Um, it doesn't say they didn't hate her at all. No, <laughs> it, it? it doesn't, you're right, because she could have been abused or anything. Mm. It didn't also say she wasn't 16 stone at the age of 10. <laughs> I'm very selfish either, did it? But I'm thinking, again, the fact that she was actually 12, yet she looked 10, makes me think she probably wasn't larger for her. Yeah, yeah, maybe the next 10 stone, I don't know. I'm I'm imagining some little waif-like stray in ragged clothes on the street. I'm clutching at straws that aren't Mm. there. What do you mean? Well, just, just talking bollocks about this little girl and invented suppositions. This is probably well, not true. We don't know. Your guess is a good one. You could be right. We don't I probably know. Probably am. <laughs> right, let's go back to that reformatory then. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. We can actually see her a couple of years later in the 1881 census at the Liverpool Industrial School for Girls on Northumberland Terrace. Well, that sounds pretty good. What do you know of industrial schools? Nothing. Oh, I imagine they're like a, a college where you learn how to work in industry what year was this again sorry I've 1879 she was sent there in 1879 but she's at the liverpool industrial school for girls in 1881 well you probably get like a certificate teaching you how to not die of smog inhalation or something where if it was 1870s well industrial schools a little bit like juvenile detention facilities in a way um, but it was they not necessarily had committed crime. I think perhaps if they'd committed burglary and things like that, they probably still would have been prosecuted in those days and under the the criminal system. Obviously, begging was some kind of crime, but I guess they realised that it probably means circumstances aren't great. She's only a child, so the idea of industrial schools was to remove the child from bad influences. So that's that home life we were talking about, the home Mm. institutions. Uh, Give them an education, make sure that they were actually receiving an education. There was school, but it wasn't necessarily enforced particularly harshly. And if they had dire circumstances, they probably wouldn't be able to attend anyway. I think of those days as well, the parents still had to pay, so you'd have to go to like a ragged school or something. But it was also to teach them a trade. So you weren't too far off with the... The trade yeah, I mean, the thing idea. is, I mean, it sounds pretty good, but then back then, as now, to a greater extent, the government used to just use the population, do they, to... Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So they now, once... but worse. Yeah. In a way, the idea was good. It's like these kids don't have a chance where they're at. Let's get them away from these crap influences, give them some education and we'll teach them a trade. Unfortunately, they weren't really teaching them like higher level stuff. Like the girls were generally 
trained to be domestic servants. Um, mm. So it's it's they still wanted to keep them in the, in their station or in, in their in their working class lower class levels, but they just were trying to prevent them from committing crime. This particular school that Emma went to had only been opened the previous year. The girls had previously been with the boys, but apparently there were negative reports on the treatment of the children, particularly the girls. So the authorities decided the girls should have their own separate school run by an all-female staff. I can only imagine what these negative reports involved. But yeah, so yay, they made a new school. Or they, I'm not sure if it was a new building, but they started a new school separate for the girls. Probably in the negative reports, there was probably a lot of like ponytail pulling and bra strap twanging and that sort of I don't think they had bras in those days. It was still corset times. They still had like stays and things, didn't they? I'm not sure. Corset setting on fire then, or some (laughs) equivalent. (laughs) Possibly. Just, just larks and jollies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Liverpool Mercury provided an update on the city's industrial schools in 1880, which is exactly when Emma was there. Right. So, so what did they say? The managers are glad to be able to report that the two schools, boys and girls, are in a thoroughly satisfactory state. The removal of the girls from Everton Terrace to Northumberland Terrace has been attended with all the advantages expected from the entire separation of the girls from the boys. The health of the children has been generally good throughout the year. The number of children admitted to the institution during the year 1879, which was Emma's year, has been 68. That's 41 boys and 27 girls. Two of the boys being transferred from St Mary's Home Industrial School, Kirkdale, since converted into a day industrial school. The number of children discharged during the year has been 66, which is 40 boys and 26 girls, as follows. So this is what happened to the children who left the schools. 16 16 boys and 17 girls to situations. So for the girls, that generally means service in a home. Lavatory attendant. (laughs) even worse, I would say, scullery maid in a house. 16 boys and 17 girls to situations. 19 boys and nine girls have been returned to their friends. I find it interesting that they use the word friends rather than family. What does that mean, returned to their friends? Well, it means they sent home to their friends and families. I'm assuming they use the term friends because not all these children would have families that cared for them. So people willing to look after them. 19 boys and 9 girls have been returned to their previous homes, I guess. People who are willing to look after them. The shit situation I was in before, but now they're to wash up. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they had like a different relative or friend who in a better situation that might be better able or better equipped to care for them. Not sure exactly. One boy absconded, run off. One boy discharged on account of disease. Did he? (laughs) They got rid of him. (laughs) (laughs) One boy was discharged (laughs) on account of disease. They got rid of him because he was ill. Two boys died in the schools. They don't don't go into details on that. 
And Did one boy first, it will just die. Just says two boys died in the schools, and oh. one boy was transferred to a Roman Catholic school. Oh God! As voluntary inmates, two boys and eight girls have been admitted, and three boys and six girls discharged. The result of the training received by the children during their stay in the institution continues to be satisfactory. Few become convicted of crime, and a very large percentage turn out good and useful members of society. Well, this industrial school sounds brilliant. Then, though, it's it's obviously an amazing place. Of those disposed of, which is interesting choice of words, of those disposed of during the years 1876, 1877 and 1878, numbering 148 boys and 64 girls, 114 boys and 46 girls are reported as doing well. Hmm. Four boys and five girls, doubtful. Oh, dear. Six boys convicted of crime. Eleven boys oh. and thirteen girls unknown. Oh, and which three ones boys are and well she was still there at this point. These are the ones that have oh. left previously. And three boys since dead. Oh bloody you know. Hmm. Which it goes on to say, which shows that eighty-five percent of boys and seventy-two percent of girls discharged are doing well. Focus on the positive. Well, I think you have to, don't you, really? <laughs> you can't help the ones that are dead. The number of children at present in the schools is 212 boys and 109 girls. The number of girls in the school being as many as on the opening of the new establishment and showing no sign of decrease. The managers have made arrangements for enlarging the premises so as to be able to accommodate the whole of them under one roof and so do away with the necessity of retaining the small house adjoining which was taken last year as a temporary measure. So they obviously had loads of kids. Remember as well, this is Liverpool, and she was from Newcastle under Lyme. So they obviously mm. took in children from elsewhere. So they weren't just all Liverpool children. Obviously, the majority would have been Liverpool. But I think maybe the idea as well was to maybe send them far away from, from any influences. Who knows? Or maybe they just didn't have an appropriate school. No, no, it probably was. You probably didn't care where that sent them. So, uh, True, well, not... wherever there was a space. <laughs> mm. Then they go on about how much that will cost. And it says, that these alterations, which will cost about £250, will be completed early in the new year. The net earnings from industrial employment are calculated at for the year ending 31st December 1879. Boys' school... Four hundred forty-one pounds zero shillings eight pence. Girl school two hundred thirty-seven pounds sixteen shillings three pence. So these kids were earning for the school as well. So they, they were still kind of earning their keep in a way. The chairman, in moving the adoption of the report, said he thought that the committee might congratulate themselves upon the satisfactory nature of the report which they had presented. These schools were established for the purpose of taking charge of those children who had not fallen into crime, and in that respect, they were different to reformatory schools, but of those who were in danger of falling into crime, and where they could learn those habits of industry which in afterlife would serve to keep them out of crime. From the report, they found that 85% of the boys and 72% of the girls were doing very well. On the other hand, also they found that only 1% six boys and three girls, of the children brought up in the schools had been convicted of crime. 
When one considered, now here's where they get a bit preachy, when one considered the class from which the children sprang, and that in all probability, if left alone, they would fall into crime, he did not think that money could be better spent than upon these schools. It had been thought that the time would come when these schools would not be necessary, but the experience of managers of such institutions pointed to this, that in large towns where there was much poverty, and where there would continue to be much poverty, these schools would always be a necessity. Hear, hear, they say that the audience said. The report, of course, dealt only with a comparatively short period of time. But having been connected with these schools something like 25 years, he could point to many of the boys who had been educated in them doing well in life, some as clerks and in other positions of industry, and who were a credit to themselves and to the schools. There were difficulties in the management of schools like these, but the committee felt that they had been very fortunate in securing the services of a mistress and a governor who took an interest in the school and in that which he looked upon as more important than the teaching of writing, reading and arithmetic. He meant the formation of the character of the children. So they didn't care so much about the education. They just wanted to make sure they made them into fine, upstanding citizens who would still do all the shit work. Whereas one of the governors... Wear a tracksuit with long blonde hair and smoke cigar. <laughs> I don't know what the equivalent would be in the 1880s. I still would have said now then, now then. There wouldn't have been <laughs> any kind of language disparagement back in. <laughs> right, moving on. <clears throat> uh, yes. since, they la- since they last met, the girls' school had been separated from that of the boys and it had been found that the advantage of that arrangement had been considerable. The schools were much indebted to the ladies' committee for the constant care and constant attention they'd given to the girls' school. Again. He could not help feeling more and more that in these days, when there was a danger of a great separation of classes, anything which brought them closer to those in better circumstances tended to good. The great object of a citizen of a great town like this should be to show the most degraded that they had a warm interest for their welfare and he knew no work which gave a greater sense of happiness than the work amongst such children. The chairman then referred to the change which had taken place in the class of children which the schools now received. They were now taking children from the very dregs of society. (laughs) Well, where was they getting them from before? (laughs) Surely the dregs should have been in there in the first place. That's a very good point. During the last year or two, he rejoiced to know the school board had been looking after a class of children who were much to be pitied. He referred to the children from the bad houses in the town. Those children had been overlooked for a long series of years on account of the migratory character of their mothers in moving from street to street. They, of course, don't bring up the fathers in this. Uh, And they were thus left to the degrading influences with which they were surrounded. He rejoiced that that class of children were now picked up and looked after. (laughs) After referring to the large amount comparatively which the children had earned, so the children are earning the money, the chairman hoped that the public would continue to give the institution enlarged support. Yeah, taxes, probably. (laughs) Give us some more money to look after all these kids so they can make me loads of money to buy cigars and (laughs) shoes. (laughs) <laughs> and tracksuits. And tracksuits, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so that gives you an idea about what kind of life Emma would have been leading and the um, way children 
of her type or her her class, children of her class and situation were perceived by the, the better-offs. Um, yes. Emma would have been discharged from the school later that year, and she seemed to find her way back to Newcastle under Lyme. Do you think Emma's going to be one of the school's success stories? Well, I think early up, not, or it's going to be a bit boring eh, if, if Emma just goes off to live in a nice house and clean somebody's lavatory and then die. It's going to go a bit crappy. So I imagine Emma is going to become the Yorkshire Ripper or something. <laughs> well, we have a bit of a clue by that first article we read at the beginning. Oh, yeah. That, that she perhaps um, didn't lead a morally upstanding life. Good for her. Why should she? After all she's <laughs> been through. Well, we don't hear from her again until 1891 when we actually hear about her twice. So she's now 24 at this stage. And in the Staffordshire Sentinel, they have a little article about her, February 1891. Alleged false pretenses. Emily Pemberton, a young woman giving an address in Penkhole Street, was charged with obtaining by false pretenses a quantity of velveteen valued at 15 shillings. Not even velvet. Come on. (laughs) Valued at 15 shillings, the property of Thomas Clemson, Draper, Mr. Sproston defended. Evidence was given to the effect that on January 6th, defendant entered the prosecutor's shop and obtained 10 yards of velveteen, stating that she had been sent by Miss Stradwick, dressmaker of 42 Stafford Street. She was told by the prosecutor that he was not in the habit of allowing things to go out of the shop without the money, and she replied that she would bring it immediately. She was then allowed to take away the goods. It didn't take much convincing. Why would he... Yeah, no, why would he let... <laughs> uh, no, no, we don't do that. I'll go on. All right, then. Well, she was then allowed to take away the goods, but it was afterwards found that no person of the name she had given lived in Stafford Street, and nothing ah. more was, <laughs> and nothing more was seen of the accused until Saturday last, when the prosecutor recognised her in Penkhole Street and gave information to the police. So, she got away with it pretty much scot free, and and just she happened to get seen walking down the street by the bloke she robbed. Uh, dressed in velveteen. <laughs> with a, with a, a fetching velveteen coat. <laughs> An apprentice named Frederick John Dean also identified the defendant as the woman who obtained the velveteen. When arrested by P.C. Dale, another name that sounds familiar, she first said she had never been in the shop in her life, but afterwards admitted that she had been there once. For the defence, Mr Sproston argued that it was a case of mistaken identity, but the bench decided to commit the accused for trial and the defence was reserved. Bail was allowed, the accused herself in £40 and two sureties of £20 each. £40? Where's she going to get that from? I know, I guess maybe she wasn't going to get that. So it says it was allowed, it doesn't say she was um, able to pay it. But PC Dale, remember that name? No. That was one of the other police. Oh, uh, the guy who came to help the old bloke. Yes. was Is one of the ones who came to the assistance okay. of Sergeant Bentley oh, in 1895. So this was 1891. So this is four years before. So she'd already run into Sergeant Bentley. Ten, yeah, they decided her, they really all suppose. <laughs> she obviously had form. They knew of her. 
So what do you think about Emma's tactics? Do you think she's becoming more sophisticated? I don't know. I mean, Velveteen, it's not Velvet, is it? I mean, um, but her ways of better. obtaining her ways of obtaining the Velveteen. Well, it's a bit sneaky, I suppose, but I mean, it's Velveteen, eh? I mean, come on, step it up. I mean, where's the Fabergé eggs? Uh, but maybe he definitely wouldn't have let any more expensive. He wouldn't have let silk go without any money, would he? So if you had to choose <clears throat> what, a fabric. It was a expert judgment on the case <laughs> of nickel fabric. Well, yeah, she oh, had to choose yeah, one that he would have been willing to let go of. <laughs> All right, so that was in February. Well, in January, the crime was committed, but it was reported in February. Then in October, the calendar of prisoners showed that she was charged with annoyance. Yeah. Charged Brilliant. with annoyance and fined five shillings and costs. Unfortunately, I have no info. I have no information on just what her annoyance was. What do you think she could have done? Uh, did I... Could be anything, couldn't it? Probably it's like sat next to somebody on the bus and like picked her <laughs> nose and wiped it on the couch and then said it weren't her. Oh dear. Something like that. Or just sat re- stood really close to somebody in the street <laughs> smoking a pipe. <laughs> well, I guess in today's terms, it's probably a bit like being, um, what, what do they call <clears throat> it? Public nuisance, I suppose. Yeah, public nuisance. Pissing in the street. That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. Well, the following year, in 1892, Emma marries Samuel Hartshorn. Woohoo. And, and this brings us to the article we read at the beginning of the episode. So obviously they caught up with Samuel because, you know, if you remember, he ran off <laughs> after jumping to his wife's defense, run off, and they couldn't find him. But they eventually found them because the couple were both tried on 19th of April, 1895. Emma Pemberton was charged with robbing Henry Morris and stealing seven shillings, his money, as well as resisting Eli Bentley and Peter Dale, constables of the borough in the execution of their duty. Emma was sentenced to six calendar months hard labour to run concurrently with two similar sentences for two other offences. No, it doesn't mention what the other offences are uh, in her in the calendar of prisoners. It just mentions the previous annoyance and begging charges. Uh, okay, well, yeah. So I'm not sure exactly what the, the two similar sentences, but the two other offences would have been. Samuel was found guilty of wounding Eli Bentley with intent to do him grievous bodily harm and sentenced to three years in prison. Three years. Three years. So not the best start to married life for this couple. <laughs> they had, well, they've been they had, married three years. Haven't they? Yeah, they, already, they had three good years. Yeah. <laughs> they can't expect too much. <clears throat> While Samuel was in prison the year after, Emma was charged with stealing from the person of John Rudge the sum of one pound, six shillings, and no pence. I don't know why they put the no pence. One pound and six shillings, his monies and sentenced to another six calendar months, hard labour. So she's back in jail. She was released by September 1897. I presume you're a bit more impressed with this because I think the Velveteen was only worth 15 shillings, but she's moved up to stealing one pound and six shillings. So she's up in her game. Well, yeah, it's like more than doubled the 
nicking capacity of quadruple. She was released by September 1897. A couple months later, after Emma was released, Samuel was released. It is unclear whether they were reunited, and if so, for how long, because the next time we hear of her, in 1901, Emma was connected to another man. Bleeding ill. Mm. In the Worcestershire Chronicle, on the 24th of August 1901, appeared this mention. At Stone Police Court on Tuesday, Emma Hartshorn and David Bentley were charged with stealing 14 shillings, the property of an old man named Kendrick. The main evidence against them was what was overheard in the cells. An officer was placed in a cell between those occupied by the prisoners and overheard the female prisoner say that the old man did not know how she got the money. They were committed for trial. But that doesn't sound like any kind of evidence for anything that you can say in that. Do you know what I mean? Well, basically, she's admitting to taking the money from him. Well, really? She said that he didn't know how she got the money. Well, she got the money, though. She's By saying how she got the money, she got the money. What? The old woman doesn't know how she got the money from him? Yeah. She stole the money off the old man. Well, it says that she stole the money from the old man. Oh, I know. But But I think you're focusing on the wrong bit. How do you feel about the fact that they put an officer between the cells to listen in on their conversations to try and get the evidence? Well, why wouldn't they do that? That's just copperingies. So you approve of this investigative work? Clandestine (laughs) coppering. I think it's harsh. Like, that's very shady. I I suppose it is, but then otherwise. So so is robbing an old man. (laughs) <laughs> Did you nick it? And they just go, nah, okay. Yeah, true. I'm not sure if that kind of police work would be um, allowed or admitted as court evidence these days. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> right, well, Emma was sentenced. What do you think her sentence was? Oh, well, three years under the sea. Well, very close. Emma was sentenced to three years penal servitude, so not under the sea. Yeah. Three years penal So sent to prison for three years. David Bentley was sentenced to three months hard labour. Why? I don't know. Perhaps he did not have as much of a a criminal history. Perhaps it was the fact that she basically admitted that she had taken the money. Maybe he was just an accomplice. I'm not sure, but three years for her, three months for him. Interestingly, her record in the calendar of prisoners for the year 1901 states she had been, by this point, convicted eight times for begging between the years 1879 and 1901. So that's six more times since coming out of the industrial school. Safe to say Emma was one of their failures. Yeah, I reckon, unless she just did the begging course. <laughs> I'm not sure they would have approved of that. Now, Emma was sentenced to three years, but seems to have got out a bit early because in 1904, she was in the papers again. This time throwing a little light on her private life. The Staffordshire Sentinel has the headline, Case of a Lamp Throwing at Stoke. Do you see what I did there? Lamp throwing. Lamp throwing. Throwing a little light on the private life. Lamp Uh, throwing. uh, 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 (laughs) Well, I shall read. A case in which some side lights were thrown on low life 
wah, wah, wah. So the newspaper reporter had the same idea as me. <laughs> Bombastic <Very sharp>. side <laughs> lights. <laughs> a case in which some side lights were thrown on low life was heard at Stoke on Monday by Mrs. J.H. Myatt, L. Price and T. James. A young woman named Mary Ann Heath, wearing a marriage ring, was brought up for wounding David Bentley. But in the course of the hearing, the charge was reduced to one of common assault. So David Bentley, as we heard before, is Emma's new beau, not her husband. Uh Bentley gave his address as 16 Thomas Street. The prisoner, he said, lived next door. So Marianne Heath lived next door and cohabited with his brother. So obviously shacked up with his brother. So two brothers living next door to each other, both shacked up with women that they are not married to. On Friday night, he, Bentley, was in his own house and he had a quarrel with Emma Hartshorn, who lived with him. Good old Emma. Hartshorn had been drinking and he struck her in the face. Good God. Prisoner was present and she said, don't do that again, David. So this is Marianne (laughs) Heath. Don't do that again, David. Without more ado, she picked up a metal lamp with a glass bowl and from a distance of three yards threw it at him. The well of the (laughs) lamp smashed on his face and his nose was badly cut. Dr. Southwell had to put three stitches in the wound. Prisoner was under the influence of drink. So was Hartshorn, and he himself had had beer. So they're all drunk. (laughs) Yeah, a big drunk lamp smashing fight. Yeah, so he, for some reason, hit Emma in the face. Marianne Heath leaps to her friend's defence and says, don't do that again, David, and picks up her lamp and throws it at him. They're all drunk. Prisoner said she remembered nothing about the affair, for Hartshorn and herself had been drinking all day. So her and Emma on the lash Mm. all day. Mm. Probably took loads of lamps during the day and couldn't remember any of them. (laughs) Emma Hartshorn, who admitted that she cohabited with Bentley, gave evidence and said Bentley's nose was cut to the bone. To the bone? There ain't no bone in the nose. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. Can't well, teach isn't it? some kind of an anatomical class at that industrial school, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe the stitches at least could have been taught. Surgical stitches would have been better than um, embroidery stitches. Hmm. Heath remarked she did not know how Hartshorn could remember this, for she had had quite as much drink as herself. They had cupful for cupful all day. This. <laughs> This quote I love from Hartshorn. So Emma says, I was not drunk. Heath cannot stand much. <laughs> ah, yeah. So they were drinking the same amount, but because Heath is a bit of a lightweight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she she was drunk, but Emma wasn't. She can handle her drink, which I think is a very cool thing to say. <laughs> mm. Prisoner, yeah, so Marianne, had been five times convicted once for assaulting the same man. She was committed for 21 days. And you know me, I tried so hard to find any kind of mention in the papers about the other assault. But there's obviously no love lost between her and her boyfriend's brother, I suppose. But, yeah, it's nice to see sisters looking after each other. 
Yeah, well, doing it as, <laughs> for themselves. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and unless it comes to um, complimenting their drinking styles or prowess. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sad to say that seven months after this particular event, Emma Hartshorn died at just 38 hell. years of age. In a she died. Contest. <laughs> <laughs> the, the liver gave out. <laughs> she died in the Union House, so the workhouse, and was buried right. at Newcastle under Lyme Burial Ground, now known as Newcastle Cemetery, on the 12th of November 1904. There lies another strong woman with an intriguing story. And dead. Mm. Despite her relationship with David Bentley, Emma was still noted on the burial record as the wife of Samuel Hartshorn. Right, I wonder what happened to him then. Ah, what happened to him indeed? Where was he? We'll learn a bit more about Samuel next episode. Right. Make sure you're following me on social media so you don't miss an episode. Just search for Genie Geek. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs>